My husband would say every purchase that I make is irrational. <laughs> just for Here's the, the bank statement. Just pick one. Yeah. Um, and I say, oh, that's because of inflation. But really, it's because I'm spending more. <laughs> this is the One Step Better podcast. Helping small businesses make wins each and every week. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the One Step Better Podcast. I am Mike, and with me this week is Shelby Joe. I need to probably Hello. stop calling you Shelby Joe. You're allowed to call me that. It's just like it rings. Shelby Joe. I like it. My granddad uh, thought so, too. It's oh, really? actually my middle name. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> What is your middle name? Uh, my legal middle name is Renee, but my uh, grandfather gave me the name Shelby Joe, and uh, my whole family calls me that. So. I know I didn't think of that on my own. Like, I heard somebody say that somewhere, some yeah. way. Family and friends, I'll call me that. Shelby Joe. Well, Shelby <laughs> is with us uh, this week, and that means only one thing. We're going to talk about some different sales strategies. Da, 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 da. Yep, things that we do, things that hopefully uh, we can share with you guys, and, and maybe there's some nuggets of wisdom that you can use to implement in your own organization. Mm -hmm. uh, keep in mind as we talk about this, we we are a services-based company, and so when we go to the market, we're selling uh, accounting, payroll, systems, software, services that our clients are buying to help them run a better business. Yeah, there's administrative things that you have to do in your right. business. We classify that as a back office function and that's what we help with. Yes. And so um, as we talk about this, keep in mind we're, we're coming at this from a service-based approach. Um, conversations may be a little bit different if you're selling products, but we'll try to jump into that as we, uh, uh, as we can. And so Shelby, we always start, as you know, with a fun question of the week. Mm -hmm. um, this question this week is gonna be, what is the last thing that you purchased that was completely irrational, unneeded, you just did it because you thought it would be fun to do? Yeah, my husband would say every purchase that I make is irrational <laughs> just for Here's the, the bank statement, just pick one. Yeah. Um, and I say, oh, that's because of inflation, but really it's because I'm spending more. <laughs> so, I haven't used that one. Next, when I go home, I'm gonna be oh, like, yeah, yeah. I, had, I need to increase my personal budget because of inflation. Well, yeah, he was like, you know, babe, the, the little number's getting a little high this month. I'm like, oh, that's inflation. It's I didn't inflation. buy more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was trying to think of something more fun, but uh, you know, I'm a beekeeper. So most all the purchases that I make relating to our my bees are not irrational, but it's usually like equipment buys when I already have equipment. And so one uh, I was thinking of is there's different ways to feed bees. And so I, I was, I've always used top feeders and then there's also like in, in frame feeders. And so I'm like, oh, I've never tried that. So do I have plenty of feeders for my bees? Yes. Did I buy them just for the heck of it? Yes. Yeah, so, so your bees now experiencing like the five-star luxury treatment it uh, depends on beekeeper yeah but we'll find out so yeah i would just equipment probably related to them is it's probably i think it's important to understand when you say i like to play with beekeeping yes you do not mean that you have you know 50 bees in your backyard that you you know have <laughs> named right. um there are thousands upon thousands of bees hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands of bees mm -hmm. that you are responsible for yeah how yeah. many bees have you named like, could you look at them and be like, just oh, that's queens. Sally. Just my queens. And you can look at them and you know that queen is specific to, like, you know that's that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it helps because they stay in the same spot. So if you go They don't to fly a, around? They do. They t go on mating flights. But, I mean, generally, if you if there's one queen in a hive, that that's your queen. If there's multiples, then you probably are going to have some problems. So Do the queens fight each other? They do, to the death. 
Oh. Oh, man. <laughs> I do. So it's important to keep them separate. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So We did that with chickens. You know about this. We did that with yeah. chickens. We, we no longer have any chickens. We have a chicken coop. <laughs> I have, uh, probably have some chicken feathers around my yard. Is um, it because you lost them all to predators? Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody from, from PETA listens to this podcast. So I don't <laughs> know if I want to say too much. Um, we had six. I know that my dog took care of at least four of them. <laughs> Um, yeah. I do know that another one has wandered off and we've never seen it again mm-hmm. around the same time that a fox started showing up. Yeah. I did, Chickens to my have. credit, I did fend off a fox from attacking our last chicken. Wow. Uh, heard some commotion, went outside. Picked it across the yard. And it ran about 20 feet away and then turned around and just stared me down, which is not normal for a fox. Uh, and terrifying. so I, you know, started making a bunch of silly noises and mm-hmm. it uh, eventually ran away. Well, that's a good segue into your irrational purchase <laughs> that we were talking <laughs> My, about. My, uh, you know, the, I, I, I say that just about everything that I buy is completely irrational, not needed. Um, and in no way whatsoever should ever be bought by any sane person. <laughs> the, like, if I go through my Amazon history, it's probably just things that I thought of when sitting on the couch watching TV one day and I thought, oh, that'd be fun to have. The last the last thing I could think of though is um, a salt gun. Assault. S-A-L-T. Not S-A-L-T. an assault Correct. gun. Not like an assault rifle. Yeah. This is a gun that you <laughs> shoot salt, salt. Table salt. Morton's iodized table salt. Yeah, that was important to clarify because I'm thinking the big Himalayan pink salt. Nope. But no indeed. Just normal salt. And so what you do <laughs> is you pour salt into the gun and you cock it almost like a BB gun, like yeah. that's like air pressured. And um, like you an shoot gun, bugs. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And you shoot bugs around your house, like flies or spiders or whatever. Um, and I thought, oh, that's cool. I want to get one of those. So I bought two of them. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, you could just get pest control service instead of We have that too. <laughs> we have both. <laughs> Matter of fact, Meredith was calling the pest people last week because we got spiders around the house. Um, and so, yeah, but uh, I have not shot any bugs with it. I have shot my uh, my Children. son. I have, uh, yeah, I shot, I shot Cameron with it. Um, he said that it didn't hurt too bad. So that's... Uh, <laughs> That's At what good. range will the salt, like, what's the... It's basically like a shotgun. So it, it, whenever you pull the trigger, a handful, I don't know how many particles of salt, but a handful of salt gets shot at the thing and it spreads out like a shotgun and it kills the bug. It's fascinating. Uh, it's supposedly, you don't have to be super close, mm-hmm. but uh, I, again, I haven't tried it out. Maybe one, one of these days I'll actually try to shoot a, a bug, but it was just one of those things that, you know, why not? I thought it'd be fun. And you saw this how? How did you learn about your salt gun? A friend said, hey, I had one and it's fun to play with. Well, that is a perfect segue into how we d- make buying decisions. <laughs> Whatever enters our a brain. A friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. So. You know, you think about it, I, I don't, you're beekeeping stuff. I would imagine that there wasn't like a salesperson that was calling you up saying, hey, Shelby, you need to get these new bee whatever whatevers. That's right. There wasn't a salesperson that called me and said, "Hey, Mike, you need we got some salt guns. <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're running a good deal. <laughs> Buy one, get one." You know, nothing like that. It was something that we heard about, learned about. Mm-hmm. Or in your case, your dad is pretty big into this stuff, yeah. and you your interest got peaked, and you decided to go down the rabbit trail of let me learn about this and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think really for a lot of people. Um, buying has kind of transitioned to a little bit of that, not in all areas, but in a lot of areas, either a friend said, Hey, this is interesting. Maybe we should do that in our world of services. It could be a company that we work with has a buddy that's saying, man, I'm really struggling with my accounting firm. I'm really struggling with my payroll provider. Sure. And they say, Hey, you know what? This is what's going on. Um, 
But typically, buyers, before they ever talk to somebody like you who's a salesperson, they're going to do a little bit of research. They're going to try to figure some things out on their own. They're going to go through that pre-buying process of maybe looking at a website, reading reviews, whatever it may be, that informs their decision. I think it's important for us as an organization that does focus on sales to reflect some of those changes in our own processes. Whenever somebody reaches out to you, what are you like? What are you going into that conversation with? Of I at least have expected this person to know X Y Z. Yeah, sure. Generally, when uh, somebody finds me and I'm not finding them, yeah. right? Um, they know they have a problem already. So, I mean, the, I think the first step in, in just thinking through yourselves is you just realize that something is off or something's wrong or something could be better. And so you start the process. So generally, honestly, whenever I meet with someone for the first time, it's just the things I expect them to know are they have an issue that they want to solve and they probably have an idea of how they want to solve it. They may not necessarily yet be so like caught into the way in which they will solve the problem um, that's my job but honestly now and more and more now um, buyers not only know they have an issue and know they want to solve the problem they also have a very specific way they want it to be solved and so they are looking for vendors and partners to fill that gap and so that's interesting because I do think we were talking about this uh, I think buyers are far more educated now than they ever have been and so often when a, a buyer is talking to a salesperson, they're probably 70% already decided. And so the 30% is what they're coming to a salesperson for. I like when it's like in there in their 10% because we can get creative and really think yeah. about what are all of the possibilities that could, you know, could or could not be. Uh, and as a seller, you want to present solutions that make sense for them. And sometimes your solution is not always the best one, uh, which is totally fine. But I do think more often than not now, buyers are, they're like, 70, 75% down the path of, I know this is what I want. This is what I need. Now, can you help me with, you know, the two things I need to get started? You make an interesting point because you said that you prefer to get involved as early on as possible. Absolutely. Because it, it allows you to kind of form some of their opinions on what they need. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's really interesting. I, I would agree with that hundred percent because what I find is that a lot of people will think they need X mm -hmm. and the reality is they may need X and Y and Z or they may need ABC all to, you know, completely different. Um, and it's different based on, yep. you know, maybe the problem they're having, they think is one thing, but the reality is they start talking about, start talking it out and we get involved. It's, oh, well, that's not really what your problem is. Your problem's really, that's a symptom of it, but your problem may be something different. Yeah, it's further down the road or more expansive than they're imagining. But now I think also too, as a buyer, I definitely don't want to talk to someone very mm -hmm. early on. So I, I do understand the, oh, I'm going to hold off and wait to talk to someone until I'm, I'm pretty far down the road. Um, but generally just thinking through as a, as a consultant, I love to talk with people when they're very early on in their process, which is why, honestly, as, as part of a good sales strategy, you're trying to talk to people before they ever need you. Yeah. Um, so that when they do actually have a need, you might be the first person they, they do talk to. Yeah. And that, those things have to inform how you set up your processes from a sales organization Certainly. standpoint, because you are going to interact with buyers in different stages. There, there may be people that they have no clue that you exist. They don't even have a clue that your service or product, whatever it is, even exists. And you have to educate to some degree about who you are, what you're doing. That's very different than somebody who is maybe calling in and has read every blog and article that's on our website, as well as all of our competitors' websites. Definitely. That's a different conversation. Yeah. And understanding where that buyer is is really important. Even in our, if we're going outbound, one of the first things that we do is we try to educate them on not just who we are, but really what we do 
because we we have identified that our services are a fit for that business. Now it's up to us to actually educate that person that our services sure. are a fit for that business. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the fun part of being involved in the sales process. Yeah, it can be. You know, I will say too, what's interesting now is buyers are not just informed about the products and services they might need. They're also very informed about the sales process that bigger organizations have chosen to, to you know, follow. For example, um, you know, we've, we've decided as marketing and sales individuals that we've got these certain metrics that are important. So when a buyer who's on their buyer journey is doing these things, downloading yeah. A guide or filling out a form that that's that's signaling intent and so we're we're coaching our, our sales teams and our staff to like think about these triggers that are happening as the buyers making like decisions in the you know the metaverse um, that may or may not actually indicate where someone is yeah. um, and so buyers I'm just trying are to get educated wary. I'm not trying to buy exactly I think a lot of buyers are even wary about just the sales process which is oh man if I do fill out this information yeah. or I do make a phone call to the salesperson are they gonna put me on a you know, a marketing campaign. I reached out to someone just thinking of an example, um, saw this great business in town locally and thought, wow, we would be perfect for them. What caught my attention was I've seen like six trucks on the road and I've never seen them before. And so either this company just did a ton of marketing and rewrapped their vehicles and their marketing looks awesome, or they just bought five more trucks than they had because I'm seeing them everywhere. <laughs> and they're now all in your area. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like a huge trigger to me because it's like, wow, they're growing they probably have a need for our types of services and so I, I reached out to the owner I sent her just a quick video saying just that hey I saw your this is amazing and um, her response back to me was remove <laughs> and so she had assumed that that was automated yeah that I, I was sending her like an automated thing that was very what I felt was a very genuine outreach it was a very yeah. custom video and she's like nope yeah and that's because we're, as sales teams and marketing teams, we're training our buyers to be wary of um, that, that, yeah. that communication, which well, can be scary. To be fair to the buyer, there is a stereotype mm -hmm. when we talk about salespeople that comes to mind, yeah. and it's not... It's not a good one. It's not a good one, yeah. It's not always positive. Probably more times than not, it's not positive. Um, sales is a very difficult industry to, to work in. Uh, it there's a lot of people that try to work in that industry and just fail because there's an art to it that is very different than probably what somebody who's never been educated or with no experience really understands. And until you get in and start to do it and, and kind of craft your or hone your craft, it's difficult to, to be able to approach people in a way that's not confrontational, pushy, um, or even uneducated. Yeah. Because there's nothing, from my perspective as a buyer, there is nothing worse than whenever a salesperson reaches out that is uneducated and they don't know what, they don't understand my business or what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And they don't even understand their product or service and how it fits into my business. Yeah. That is a quick way to get blacklisted. Well, I think everyone feels that way, which is um, that puts a terrible burden on on a sales organization because I can't be all things to all people. And so I can ask a bunch of questions and be innately curious about everyone I come into contact with. But there really are just certain like industries or niches. Man, I just I don't have the depth to get that far down unless I'm going to go find 100 of them. Yeah. Um, and so that that can be very hard, especially for sales managers is how do I educate my sales team or my consultants to be just that? because in some cases there's very specific questions that a buyer is going to ask and not every salesperson is going to be equipped to handle yeah. those questions. It's going to be a challenge. I, 
And it's super important for salespeople to understand that saying, hey, you know what, that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure how that that may we may be able to solve that or I don't know exactly sure how I'm going to answer that. But let me do some research and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Is I, I wish people would say that more. I think it's important, you know, if you are leading a sales team or you're an owner and, and coaching your, your sales team, it is important for us to train our salespeople to say, hey, I don't have the answer or I, I don't know that. Um, it can be scary to do that because you don't want to have the wrong answer in place. And so a lot of times I do tell like our teams and if, if you're coaching someone, you know, be sure that you're having these conversations with your sales staff. It is totally appropriate for you to say that is a perfect question and that's exactly why we're meeting and our next call we're going to talk about that yeah um, and so and rather than way to pivot the question it's a way to just pivot and it's not to like brush someone off but it is totally okay i don't like to say oh i don't know the answer to that like i don't want to look like i don't know what i'm doing um and so but you also don't want to like create false expectations and so i think anybody that's coaching good salespeople will, will realize hey teach your team to be humble like mm -hmm. they're not going to know everything but it is okay to just say hey when you have when you come up into something you don't know the answer to like it is appropriate for you to just say yeah that's exactly why we're in these conversations yeah. we're going to handle that in our next call and i think you know or i'll handle that in a follow-up email because then that you put your your salesperson in a situation where they can gain control of the conversation again and move on um, but that that can be scary in the field when you're that rep like oh man i've you know i've never dealt with this specific situation before what do i do yeah, well, you know, one of the things that that you've mentioned, um, not necessarily on on the podcast, but um, is that there is a a strain, a pressure for a salesperson to mm -hmm. carry their own bag, you know, whatever that quota is, and they want to meet those numbers. And if you don't, there's, you know, normally severe consequences <laughs> uh, of not hitting your numbers or yeah. maybe not, you know, not you know, low performance. Um, but there's also the flip side of that is you really want to bring in deals that are good deals for everybody in the organization that lifts the entire boat. And it's not just, you know, what that's going to help my quota. And there's a tension that can happen there mm -hmm. internally for the person of, hey, I know this deal isn't maybe a perfect fit. Is it good enough? And man, yeah. that commission that comes with this deal is really enticing. <laughs> and it's a struggle because yeah. – uh, you know, you have the ability, if you're the person that's responsible for bringing new business into an organization, you have the ability to shape what that organization is going to look like mm -hmm. long term, just simply based on the customers that you're bringing in. Yeah. And so there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. At the same time, I got to put food on the table. <laughs> and that's not always easy to, yeah. to walk that line. Yeah, it can be a, deli a delicate balance. And you know, we think about, you know, empathy and selling and, and how that works. I think empathetic selling looks just like that, recognizing as an ownership or a leadership team uh, that your salespeople are in that tension of, I have a, a good salesperson is not going to want to miss their number. And that, like they carry that as personal failure. Um, highly, I'm highly motivated to succeed. And my metrics are my metrics and I want to hit those every time. And when I don't, the only person that's failed is me. You know, it's, it's no one else. Yeah. It's my fault. The buck stops with me. And, and so there's pressure there to carry that. Uh, but the same is also true. A, a really good sales rep is also going to feel the tension of when I did bring something in that sometimes it may just be because you didn't know or you didn't do as much discovery as you should have or you did everything that you felt was important to do and it came in and it still wasn't a good thing. Sometimes yeah. you can't know. But it's also that double pressure of, wow, gosh, if I bring this in and this creates havoc or creates, you know, problems, 
um, that's really hurting my operations team. Uh, and so there's there's that tension from both a leadership perspective of, of helping your team, under, like your salespeople understand, have a little bit of empathy for what they're going through because they're hitting rejection all the time. Mm-hmm. So when they hear rejection from you too, like your internal team should be your cheerleaders. Double gut punch. It's, yeah. it's hard. From a leadership perspective, it's um, hard. I think a takeaway, if you're a sales leader or uh, any really leadership on any organization, and if you haven't put well-defined boundaries um, onto what your ideal client looks like or even an acceptable client, you're, you're setting up your team for that failure because yeah. they're not going to have – typical salesperson is not going to have the breaks that they need to recognize that's not a good fit <laughs> unless somebody that is that knows that a lot better, maybe has more experience with it, actually tells them these are this is the box that you have to play in. Um, we don't want to let that box be defined by each of our individual salespeople. Yeah, because you're you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, uh, but also too, you do have to carry that with some flexibility, which is hard because your salespeople are they should know the market better than you do. Sure. And so, but there's a difference between the ideal client yeah. and the acceptable client. client. Yeah, that's for and sure. That's yes. the the you box that you have, have boundaries yeah. on your acceptable client. Yeah. For sure. And when there's when the non-negotiable hits you have to be able to recognize that we can't move forward. And it's the leadership's responsibility to recognize and define what those non-negotiables are. And a lot of times you have to actually get your leadership team to think about, is this truly a non-negotiable or is this just something you want to be true? Yeah. You know, in our world, we talk a lot about what those non-negotiables are. And a lot of times we'll come out like, you know what, that's probably not a non-negotiable. It's not ideal, but it's acceptable which is very different than this is a hard line of, you know, we're not going to work with that person. Yeah. So, you know, you're you're helping lead and manage teams. Whenever you have a sales rep or a salesperson that's getting off the rails, how do you coach them back in in an encouraging way that still keeps them selling the right business? <laughs> I don't. I just fire them. Well, let's move on. Next person up. <laughs> no, I'm just like kidding. every <laughs> leader. Just let them go. Yeah. Salespeople are a dime a dozen. Who cares? Yeah, no. that's right. Um, it's generally just asking questions about what they understand. I always try to start any conversation like that from the from a standpoint of um, giving the benefit of the doubt to the person. So if if you let's say that you went and sold something crazy that was just like way out of norm, and I was you know if it's a one time thing, then it's gonna be like, hey Shelby, what did you see in that client? You know that made you think that it was gonna be a good fit. Let's talk it through like that. So that's different. If there's a kind of a pattern of yeah. you're selling a bunch of junk over and over and over again, then that conversation is going to be more like, hey, what do you think is, you know, how do you, we say this is what an ideal client looks like. Mm-hmm. How do you define those terms? Because it seems like maybe that we're off a little bit. Maybe, and I, I try to start, start that with, maybe I haven't clearly defined this well for you. Yep. Not necessarily you're a terrible person that doesn't understand this. Now, a lot of times when you do that, it turns out that, yeah, I knew that those were the the boundaries, if you will, and I just really needed the paycheck yeah, or I just needed the sell. Anyway. Where it's like, hey, you know what? I get that. If you if you talk about it ahead of time, let's figure out a way to make this work. But when you just try to push stuff through yeah. and it's not ideal, like that's where we're gonna have bigger problems. Yeah, it's uh, a challenge. Because we can we can sometimes find ways to make that client like whether it's just setting conditions. Hey, these are the absolute things that have to happen and get them on board with it beforehand. It could it could be an okay fit, um, and, and so it it depends on the situation. I try to do that through just asking a bunch of questions. Yeah. I like to start with you know what I don't have a sales team that is intentionally trying to get us off the rails. Yeah. I do have a sales team 
that sometimes either makes mistakes or their wallets are bigger than their, you know, their, their eyes for a client. And they may bring a client in the door. That's not ideal. Sure. Um, and that's somewhat expected. I would rather pull the reins back than have to push somebody out yeah, the door. Yeah, push it forward for sure. Uh, and that's especially true in the in the sales world. Yeah. So in today's climate, what would you say to owners that are listening in or sales leaders that you know need some encouragement? What should their go-to marketing strategy be in today's digital world Oof. where it's part salesperson, part digital, part social? How do we tackle all the fronts? Yeah, I think you have to have a very well thought out strategy not that it has to be well defined because I, I there has to be room for experimentation here but it has to be a well thought out strategy of how we're going to educate our buyers how we're going to approach our buyers what are what are the channels that we're going to go go to to find those people um what is it what does an ideal buyer look like what are the things that i'm willing to accept what i'm not willing to accept um, and then from there it's get people on board with what that strategy is and give them a little bit of direction on how to accomplish it Sure. Ultimately, and this is, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm a little bit different here or not. I don't want salespeople that don't have the ability to figure some of this stuff out on their own. Yeah, certainly. Um, I want them to have some say and input into how they go and approach sales. Uh, and so I want to give a little bit of direction, a little bit of guidance, and then let them figure it out. Because ultimately, if I have to figure everything out for that person, you don't need them. I don't need that person. Yep. Um, if it's just a matter of, you know, the, a science of do these things, That's right. then I can get a computer to do that, you yeah. know? And so I need to make sure that my, both my marketing and sales approach are dialed in together, room, with, room for experimentation, a little bit of grace for my team to screw some things up or try some things different that maybe I haven't thought about or done. Um, and then I want to monitor the results and actually see what's working. And yeah. when we find things that are working, let's pour some gas on that fire yeah. and, uh, and blow it up. Yeah. I think something too, that helps, you know, from a mar like just strategy thinking through is, um, strategically, you should think about your marketing and your sales strategies in three big buckets. That's what I at least think of is, um, you have people that are in your never bucket. They are never going to be a client not like not possible we can't do the work or way out of scope we'll never be able to tackle yeah. it like there's just people that are never you're never going to do business with and your team should your sales team should know that better than anybody else in your organization because you don't want them spending time on crap yeah um, move on Yep. And so your marketing strategy also has to be in tune with that because if you're marketing to or, you know, you're promoting on social media to a bucket of customers that you can never sell to, you're wasting time. So I think it's good to think through your never bucket. These are never clients. Think through your now bucket. There are people right now that need my service and your sales team should be dealing with those people. The less automation you can keep in those, the better. Um, just because I think people that are looking to buy that get stuck in chat bots or are trying to schedule something online or it's good to have those pieces in place. But like if I need services today right now and I can't get in touch with someone, yeah. I have to go through a bunch of channels. I may actually get frustrated and go somewhere else. So yeah. you're, you know, really iron out your strategy for your now people that are looking right now and make sure that process is simple. Make it and easy. Yeah. Really easy. Like I'm trying to give you call money. here, take my money, <laughs> email this person. <laughs> I get frustrated with that when I have to do the info at, because yeah. then I'm like, well, who's going to reach out to me? Can I just have some person on your organization? Who is info? Where yeah. is he? I want a real person that I can talk to right now. Yeah. And then your last category for, I think sales and marketing is your not now. 
prospects. And that's where your you know good marketing teams will have some strategies in place for how can I be a guide for someone who's not yet ready to buy services, but one day will, whether that's because they're going to grow into needing my service or they work with a competitor and they're really happy there. And so you kind of have to think through your triggers there. That not now category, I think, is the hardest one that we all struggle with is to know like man how can I get my team and my company and my organization out to those people so that when Mm -hmm. a buyer who's going to be educated and know the market Mm -hmm. and know what they need how can they find me and a lot of our success over time has been in that not now category Mm -hmm. it uh, we there's countless examples of clients of ours that were no 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 (laughs) for for years even and then Yep. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. And the ability and, and, and some of the automation and some of the tools that we've used to stay in front and top, top of, mind of mind with those people mm-hmm. have paid off over time. And so really yeah. good insight. I appreciate it, Shelby. You bet. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to listen with us. If you yeah. need any help, uh, you can always reach Shelby at shelbyb at works.com. That's right. 901-524-2542. If you need services, you can call me. And if you need advice, I don't have much to give, but <laughs> here if you need Talk it. Talk to Shelby about all the bees. A couple hundred That's thousand right. bees that she has. That's Maybe right. she can even send you a jar of honey. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the One Step Better podcast. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to us. We'd really appreciate it if you would take some time to rate us five stars on your podcast player of choice and make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss out on another episode. Thanks and have a great day.